Hey everybody, I'm Pastor Jeff Dawes, lead pastor here at Stockbridge Community Church. And I just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope this message inspires you and encourages you. Enjoy today's message. stress? Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, I found some funny ways, you know, there's, there's different triggers or um, maybe you know, like your car has lights that come on to warn you and you have warning signs about how, when you're getting stressed, but I found some funny ways that you can know if you're too stressed. And I thought I'd share these with you too, just to see if you can relate. The first one is this, Uh, you get a head rush just by sitting up. You might be too stressed. Ever been there? Uh, You know you're too stressed if you think the sun is too loud. Uh, You know you're too stressed, you begin to explore the possibility of setting up an IV drip of coffee. You wonder if brewing coffee is a necessary step in the consumption of coffee. You just eat it right out of the bag, I guess, I don't know. Uh, You ask, you know you're too stressed if you ask the drive-through attendant if you can get your order to go. There you go, you got it, there you go. You know you're too stressed if antacid tablets have become your source of nutrition. And you know you're too stressed if you're getting on your own nerves, amen? You might be too stressed. Well, I don't know about you, but the last 13 months have been a little crazy for me. Um, I've had some stress that I haven't had to deal with uh, probably for my whole life, to be honest. It started back in the summer, and my story is no different than yours, and many of yours is way, way off the charts more than mine, so I don't want uh, you to think that I'm trying to get you to feel sorry for me, because I'm not. But it's just different, and we all deal with stress a little differently. And I remember last August, uh, last year when my grandfather passed away, there was a few uh, weeks later that I just began, I turned to Pastor Jeff and he, we were just talking and I said, I just feel so worked up inside. Have you ever felt like that? Like you just can't settle down. Like everything is just churning inside and you can't find any relief. And so I went to my counselor and I talked to him and I love him so much because he's just Uh, a good voice of peace and reason in my life, and he's a professional, and he can help me outside of the people that I know. And he said, your personality hates change. And I said, amen. Amen. I do not like change. Everything was changing in my life at this time. All kinds of things were happening. And he said, you like all the details laid out, all the plans made before something happens before a decision is made. And he's exactly right. I hate change. And I know that there's some optimists in the room or maybe watching online and you would say, but change is adventure and change is risk and it's what makes life so exciting, blah, blah, okay? Uh. So now that you know how I really feel about change, which I don't like, You know, as coronavirus and then coronavirus, right? And so that really flipped my lid, okay? So I was going through, we were going through all that, 
And I was following this person on social media who is a youth leader also in our uh, in a, the Atlanta area. I don't know him personally. I was just, he works for a big organization and I follow him on social media. And so as I was following him, he contracted coronavirus and I was like, oh no. And people were praying for him because it was really bad. Like he, he almost didn't make it. But by God's grace, he got through that and his pastor was interviewing him and was talking to him about his experience. And he said something that I hope I never forget my entire life. And he said, I have made an idol out of certainty. And I thought, me too. I've made an idol out of certainty in my life because sometimes I like certainty more than I trust God. And that's just being honest. And so I have to repent of that and, I, and learn to not make an idol out of certainty. There was a man in the Bible that I wanna to talk to you about today. And I feel like he didn't have any idols in his life because he actually worked to get idols kicked out of Israel. He is by all definitions a hero of the faith. And again, in, in a very tumultuous time, he was a hero by all definitions. His name is Elijah. And so Elijah, you can read all about him in First and Second Kings, he was a prophet of God. And he was living during a time when King Ahab was the ruler of Israel. Now King Ahab was a bad person, a bad guy. So everybody in the room and online say boo. boo. Now, if you want to think that Ahab was a bad guy, you should talk to his wife Jezebel, who was even worse. So give me a big boo for her, come on. Terrible, terrible leadership going on here. In fact, they were responsible for bringing in idols into Israel. And Elijah was like, this is crazy. This is enough. This is not who we're to worship. We are to worship the one true God. And so he said to get their attention, God was not going to let it rain. And it didn't. And so it didn't rain month after month, year after year. And so all of the crops began to die. There was no food. Birds, like ravens, would actually come and feed Elijah his food. And so as he began to eat, he was provided for by God. It was like one miracle after another providing him food. And then Elijah met a widow and he asked her for food. Now, I don't know if the birds were on a break. I'm not sure what that, the deal was with that. But he met the widow and he said, do you have any food that I can have? And so the widow said, well, I have flour and I have oil and that's all I have. I was going to make bread for me and my son. And honestly, we we're going to die after that because there's nothing left. But she gave him what she had left because he was a prophet of God. And he said, because you are obedient, you'll have flour and oil in your home until it rains again. And you know what? She did. Amen. It was amazing. Her son got sick and Elijah prayed for him fervently and he was healed. God was performing one miracle after another. Now fast forward three years, okay? Three years into this famine. And Elijah decides that it's time for a showdown between Ahab and his false prophets and himself and the real God. And so he tells Ahab and Jezebel to get all their prophets. Total, there were 850. He had 400, she had 450. They brought them all together. 850 men, this one man of God is gonna stand up against. And he says, here's the challenge. 
Okay, you build an altar, you pray to your gods, and if he sends, if they or he or whoever they are send fire down from heaven, consumes the altar, we'll worship them. But if I pray and my God does it, then we'll know who the true God is. So that's what they did. They built an altar, 850 of them begin to cry, they begin to chant from morning till evening to their gods. Nothing was happening. They took things and began to cut themselves in order to bring attention to these gods. Nothing was happening. And then all of a sudden we see Elijah rise up as the first recorded comedian in scripture. And this is what he says, maybe they're on vacation. Why don't you pray louder? As the Lord is my witness, read that in 1 Kings 18. This is even better. Maybe they went to the bathroom, he says, to relieve themselves. Maybe that's where they are. Why don't you wait till they get back and then cry a little louder? Of course, nothing happens. And Elijah says, it's my turn. So that evening, after probably 12 hours of this nonsense, he builds an altar with 12 stones, 12 stones that represent the tribes of Israel, and, it, and he restores it. And he prays about a 60-word prayer. And fire falls from heaven, consumes the altar, and makes crispy critters out of all the prophets. God has shown up again. He's done his work again. Elijah says, now it's going to rain. He prays fervently. The rain comes back. This is amazing. A man of faith that when he prays, he walks with God and God is near. But let's look at what happened next. In 1 Kings chapter 19, let's read and see what happened to Elijah next. When Ahab, who again was the king, got home, he told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods, notice that little g, Strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So basically Jezebel was saying, if you don't get this right, I'm going to take over. And then this is what happened to Elijah in verses three and four. Elijah was what? He was afraid and ran for his life. We have not seen this Elijah yet, have we? When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Today, we're going to talk about what to do when you've had enough enough. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had enough? What do we do? Well, after all the things that God did and, and Elijah standing up to 850 men, you would think that one grumpy woman would not put him over the edge. But men, dare I ask, have you ever been put over the edge by one grumpy woman? I know Danny would say amen to that. We go and we go and we go, don't we? And one little thing tips us off. Why is that? Ladies, you have cleaned the living room 12,000 times. 
picking up after everybody in the house, but on 12,001, you've had enough. You have been on the phone with a client, guys, 5,000 times, and this client is high maintenance, but you can handle it because you're super salesman. But on 5,001, you've had enough. Your siblings, students, have borrowed your things over and over and over without asking, but you've given grace, but on the last time, you've had enough, and there's gonna be a fight, so get ready. Why is that? Why is it that we get to a tipping point where we've just had enough? And I think we can look at Elijah, and I think we can find some things that maybe he forgot in order that can help us when we've had enough. So if you've had enough, number one, I want you to remember this. Number one, stay close to those that will encourage you. Stay close to those that will encourage you. Let's see if we notice a problem when we look back and see how Elijah responded to Jezebel's threat. Look at this again in verse three and four. Again, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, what'd he do? He left his servant there. And while he himself, he went by himself, a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I think it's so ironic that what Elijah was afraid of was dying by Jezebel, but yet he sits under this tree and he prays to die. Do you think that's ironic? But here's what he did. He left his servant. He went by himself. He left the person that was caring and encouraging him behind and he went on his own. Don't we do that? When we are down, we begin to withdraw from God and we begin to withdraw from godly people. He shut the people out and he began to carry it alone. And he had no one around him to remind him. When we get down, we shut the people out that begin to remind us that God is with us. And that's one reason small groups are so important. Listen, I talked to a lady this week. We were online, uh, a Zoom call, and she's like, I'm so lonely. And you know what I said? Get in a group. Get in a group. You can find a virtual group. You can find a two or more group. You can find a Facebook group, a chat group, an in-person group. We're starting groups back up in October. Please get in a group. You can just sign up on your connection card or in your app or on your virtual connection card. You need people in your life encouraging you and reminding you that God is for you and he's with you. There's four types of people you need in your life. The first type of person you need in your life is a mentor or a coach. And you know, what? not one person can teach you everything. You might need one for your finances or your marriage. You might need one for your career or for school or your sport, whatever that looks like. You need a coach or a mentor to help you. You need a role model. You need people that have already done what you wanna do and you need somebody to look up to. You also need partners. What are these? These are colleagues. These are classmates. These are people that are co-workers walking and, and working alongside you to encourage you in the work that you're in as you're working toward a goal together. And lastly, you need friends. You just need people that are there for you and love you and the good and the bad and the ugly. Amen? And, Amen. and listen, small groups is a place 
that you can find these people. So please, please, there's an, a catalog that we've provided for you today. Look over those and find a group. Number two, when you've had enough, focus on God's goodness. When you've had enough, focus on God's goodness. I know we've talked a lot about this through this series, but you cannot forget this. Look at what Elijah began to do. He began to complain instead of remembering what God had done for him. Again, he says in verse four, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, I'm not any better than any of my family. Why am I so special? You did all that stuff. Okay, but now here I am having a pity party under a tree. I guess it would be better if I just die because no one understands. But Elijah, what he did was he faced his problem forgetting his God. He was trying to face his problem forgetting his God. And we all tend to do this. When we have a bad day, we want to complain and talk about it. And that's okay. You should do that. You should find some people your spouse, your family, a friend, a counselor, that you can talk through things, that you can vent and talk about what's stressing you. But here's the key. There's a difference in feeling stressed and being stressed. You need to feel it, talk about it, and move through it instead of just sitting in it. Amen? Amen. You need to work through your situation with a person that can help you and not hold on to it. As pastor told us in week one of this series, you need to tell your problem how big your God is instead of talking to God about how big your problem is. Amen? Amen. As you focus on God, you can focus on his word and his goodness. Psalm 27 and 13 says this, I know that I will live to see the Lord's goodness, not when I die, in this present life. That is good news. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to see God's goodness. You can see it all around you. It's everywhere you look. And it's a great reminder for you to understand that your problems do not deter God's purpose. Your problems do not uh, detract from God's plan and throw you off from what it is that he's called you to do. Problems don't stop God's plan. Have you ever been swallowed by a giant fish? Probably not. Live to tell about it? No. There is another prophet in the Bible by the name of Jonah. And we can read about his hopelessness in Jonah chapter 2. Look at what he says in those dark days. He said, when I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. Listen, when your marriage is in the ditch, what do you need to do? Turn your thoughts once more to the Lord. When I'm struggling with my health, turn my thoughts once more to the Lord. When I don't understand what this child that I'm raising is doing, turn your thoughts once more to the Lord. When my coach and my teachers have gone berserk, and many of them probably are right now, we need to pray for them. What do you need to do? Turn your thoughts once more to the Lord once more. I pray that God would help us to remember that. Number three, when you've had enough, I want you to take time for rest. Listen, this is the most practical thing that I can tell you all day. Elijah had been running and running and running, mostly for his life, and maybe he just needed to rest. 
Look at what 1 Kings 19 and 5 says. Then he lay down and what? Slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and Elijah needed a snack and a nap. <laughs> Have you ever had a sleepy and hungry toddler? We don't call that hangry, we call that slangry, okay? And that is where Elijah was. We've all been there. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 23 and 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Sometimes God has to lay us down and make us lay down and make us rest. And sometimes it comes in the form of sickness and stress and we have to stop. But I thought this was so interesting in thinking about shepherds. How do they make sheep lay down? And I did a little research and I read this article that I thought was really interesting. In order for sheep to lay down, they have to be free from four ailments. So the first one is fear. They have to make sure that there's no coyotes or wolves or anything like that uh, around the herd. Second, they have to make sure there's no tension. In other words, uh, there's no uh, bully sheep, okay? They're not causing problems within the herd or within each other. There can't be any aggravation, which means like from uh, insects or parasites or things that would cause harm to the sheep's health. And lastly, they have to be free from hunger. They have to have bellies that are full and you know, sheep will eat and eat and eat and that shepherds have to manage that. But if there's still all those things are well and there's still some anxiety in the herd, I can see as many of us in a room this size or online, there's probably many of you, you're following Jesus, the good shepherd, but there's still some anxiety. There's something that the shepherd can do in order to give the sheep rest and make them lie down. And that is this, he walks to them and he goes near them. And in the presence of the good shepherd, there is peace. And in the presence of the good shepherd, there is rest. And when the shepherd walks in the presence of the sheep, the sheep will lay down. Can I tell you today that there's no better peace, there's no better rest than in the presence of the good shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Look at what God told Moses in Exodus 33 and 14. He said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you what? There is rest in the presence of the Lord. You say, how do I get in his presence? I'm glad you asked. There's a lot of different ways. Many of you feel or sense God's presence when you're doing different things. It could be when you're serving. It could be when you're praying. It could be when you're reading God's word. It could be when you're listening to the music that maybe this band sings, some of the songs they sing. Every week you can find those online. Maybe you're listening to a sermon. Whatever it is that helps you to sense God's presence and not really feel it because you don't always feel God, but you know that he's near. Whatever you have to do, that's what you need to do to get in his presence. Jesus said in Mark 2, 27, that you need a Sabbath day. Look at what he says. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
In other words, God rested on the seventh day, not because he needed rest, but because he needed you to understand that you need rest. You need a 24-hour block of time every week that is free from work. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have things to do around the house. That doesn't mean that you don't have a soccer game to attend or you don't have some errands to run. But at some point in a week, you need 24 hours to take a break from work. It could be 6 p.m. from one day to 6 p.m. the next day. What does that look like for you? You need a nap sometimes, amen? And so you need to do three things on your Sabbath day. The first thing you need to do, again, is rest your body. You might need a nap. Sometimes I get my son ready for school on Fridays. His dad takes him to work, and I go back to sleep because sometimes that's what I need. The second thing is refocus your spirit. That means you worship. That means you find a way to be in God's presence. You pray a little extra. You read your Bible a little bit extra. You listen to a little bit more music that lifts your spirit. And three, you recharge your emotions. You might need to play a sport, play golf, have a hobby, work on a car, read a book. Maybe working with your hands is something that helps free your mind. Working around the house, whatever that looks like, you've got to find what it is to help you have a Sabbath. Because listen, you may not take a break because your spouse says to take a break. You may not even take a break because your boss says to take a break. But you should take a break because your God says to take a break. And he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You need a break. God knows what we need. The fourth thing that I want you to remember when you've had enough is this. Remember God is near. Remember God is near. Look at what God did to help Elijah remember. In 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. In other words, the Lord is about to be near. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. Can you imagine the scene? And shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Can I tell you today that the Lord was not in earth, wind, and fire? (laughs) Do you remember the 21st day of September? Do you remember? He wasn't in the noise. If those of you that don't know, that's a 70s R&B band, so you can YouTube that and look it up. God wasn't in the loud. He wasn't in the noise. And when we are surrounded by all the chaos of life and we are surrounded by the anxiety and all the noise of life, sometimes we wonder, God, where are you? I don't hear you. God's not in the noise. He's in the whisper. And sometimes we mistake that for his absence, but he is not absent. He is present. He's just in the whisper. Do you know what Elijah's Hebrew name means? The Lord is is my breath. The Lord is my 
breath. God was in the whisper. Why does he whisper when everything is running off the road around us? It's because he's close. He pulls us to him. He pulls us to his side and he can whisper, why? Because he's near. I'm here. I'm in the whisper. I'm here. I've not left you. I I have not forsaken you. I am the good shepherd and I will walk with you. You may be crushed, but you're not discouraged. You're not perplexed. You're not damaged. You're not damaged goods. You are mine. He whispers when all the noise is going on around us. Your enemy, the devil, will scream at you the lies. He's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And in the noise, he screams lies. But God is so close, he can whisper. And if you'll listen, the good shepherd is there with you. If you remember what seemed to be Elijah's biggest fear, it was death. And I know for me, just to be honest and transparent, that's probably one of my biggest fears is dying. But Elijah was so scared of this woman and and yet again he sits under a tree praying to die. But he began to do good things. He began to look at God's goodness and focus on God's goodness again. He began to listen to the whisper. And he began to put people around him again. He got himself a two or more group. And he hooked up with Elisha. And he said, Elisha, you're going to be my protege, and you're going to succeed me when my ministry is over. And as they were walking along the road one day, look at what happened in 2 Kings 2 and 11. It says, as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. And look what happened next. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind where? He didn't even have to die a physical death. Don't you know that statistics show that 90% of what we worry about never even happens? And Elijah was able to go to heaven, not even dying a physical death, but straight to heaven from this earth. Can I tell you that God is with you and he is walking with you. And if you will focus on him and remember that he is near, it begins to make our problems, uh, the size of our problems change. Our perspective makes our problems smaller when we focus on the Lord and we know he is near. Can I ask you today, do you know him? Do you know him? Maybe you're saying today, I need peace. And you can't have it today because you're an acknowledger of him, but you're not a follower of him. And I want to ask you today, please, I beg you, come to know Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer and you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come forward if you're in this room. If you're at home, you don't have to say it out loud, but as I pray this prayer, I would ask you today to please, please, I beg you, in your heart, say these words with me. Just say me too, because you need Jesus. Not just to be an acknowledger, but to be a follower. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I've been trying to do things my own way, and I ask you, I ask you to come in and be the leader of my life. I want to feel you near me. I want to know what to do.
And I want to be so close to you that I can hear you whisper. I ask you to forgive me of everything that isn't pleasing to you and help me to follow you and not just acknowledge you, but to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. And can we all say together, amen. Please today, let us know. Send a following Christ to the number on the screen to let us know that you are following Christ now. Mark it on your connection card. You can do it digitally. You can do it on your paper connection card if you're in this room. But we want to send some things to help you on your journey. We want to pray for you. And maybe if you're in this room today and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know he's with me, but I just need to be reinforced today. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand. And we're going to sing this song. Go ahead and stand. We're going to worship together today. And we're going to sing this song as a prayer to God. And we're going to help our God to understand that we know that all problems are small to him. Amen? Amen. All problems are small to him. He has not forsaken you. He is near. He has not forsaken you. He is near. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net. And click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.